there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so thrilled that you press play. If you're interested in math and economics and you're wondering about the career paths you might explore, and if you're interested in affordable housing or building sustainable communities, then this is the episode for you. But before I introduce you to my wonderful next guest, Tyronda Gibson, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's the weekly newsletter we blast out on Mondays to give you an exclusive overview of the episodes we're going to be dropping each day that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign-up box is right there. And if you've got a couple minutes, scroll down a little bit to check out the rest of the T4C homepage and you'll see we've organized all the episodes we've released to date by career. So if you're interested in entrepreneurship, click on that box. Or perhaps it's advertising and marketing or writing or PR or journalism, whatever your interest, there should be a box for you to click with a bunch of professionals in those careers for you to binge on. And if we're missing a career or professional that you're interested in, then please hit me up on email at Andrea at time, the number four coffee.org and let me know and I will do my best to line up those guests for you. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of a delicious caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my next guest is Tyronda Gibson, who is the pilot manager for sustainable communities at Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae stands for the Federal National Mortgage Association and is a U.S. government-sponsored enterprise, or GSE, founded 80 years ago in 1938 during the Great Depression as part of the New Deal. And before I get into anything more about it, because I need Ty to explain this to us, I want to welcome Ty to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Andrea. I am caffeinated and ready. Awesome. So Ty, before we get into what you do today at Fannie Mae, the company that you've actually worked at since 2010, could you please help our Java Junkie community better understand in English, because I'm not going to be doing a good job of it, what Fannie Mae does? So Fannie Mae is a financial services company where we provide liquidity to the market. And when I say liquidity, we try to ensure that there's enough funding in the market for people to be able to afford homes. The way with which we do that is operating in the secondary market. So we don't necessarily give money directly to residents by homeowners or renters. We actually provide funding to banks who essentially give money to those folks. The way with which we play such a pivotal role in the market is that many of these banks will ultimately pool the loans that they provide out to the market into basic loan characteristics around how much loan to value is in that loan or what's your debt to income, et cetera. And they sell it to us 
And what Fannie Mae does is provides a security. We securitize those loans and it's almost like a sense of insurance, right? These loans will not go bad if they are securitized by Fannie Mae. And so as we securitize those loans, we sell them out to investors around the world and essentially create what we call liquidity because those loans are secure. People know that they're going to get repaid if anything goes bad with those families. And ultimately, we charge kind of what we call a guarantee fee as part of our business model to make income. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. So your current title is the Sustainable Communities Pilot Manager. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? And what do you do? Sure. So as a pilot manager of the Sustainable Communities team, I'm responsible for the day-to-day execution of programs and pilots that our team takes on. As it's currently established, our team is situated two different ways. We have half of our team that's focused externally, really trying to build relationships with folks inside the housing industry, outside the housing industry, but really trying to engage with folks who have these creative and innovative ideas around how we can address the lack of affordable housing across the U.S. tied to what we call an adjacent sector. Adjacent sectors in our definition is all around education. So how do we ensure that these affordable homes have access to quality education nearby, but also access to employment, more healthcare, energy, you name it. We're really trying to figure out how do we create a community that is self-sustaining, right? Through the connection of housing to many of these broader amenities. And so essentially, as those folks engage externally and come up with these ideas, they bring those ideas in-house and say, okay, pilot manager Ty, we have this idea that we want to see come to fruition. How can we do that? And so my day-to-day responsibility involves making these ideas come to life. I'm coming up with the project plan of who are the people we need to get involved? What are the key steps that are needed to effectively execute this program? And then I actually manage it through from soup to nuts, all the different folks involved to truly ensure that by the end of this project or pilot, we can we can evaluate it and say, is it a success? If so, is this something we should continue at Fannie Mae or should we give it back to one of our partners? And if it's not a success, how can we learn from that? What tweaks will we make moving forward to ensure that maybe the next time we go around it is a success? And so as a pilot manager, all about making those ideas come to life. And it's been very, very engaging and fun to date. So it's one of my favorite roles at Fannie Mae. Awesome. So can you give us an example, Ty, of a pilot that either you are working on right now to see if it has sea legs, that it can live beyond your team, or maybe one that has already graduated and is back out there with one of your partners? Actually, this is one of the pilots that we kind of started out with, right? And this is all about diversity recruitment in the housing industry. Based on the demographic trends of the country, we are seeing that there's a need to improve the diversity in the industry so that when future renters or homeowners kind of grow up and they're like, I actually want to you know, buy a house or rent this house, they can work with people who look like them, who can speak the same language, et cetera. And so as part of one of the pilot projects that I'm transitioning to one of our 
internal business sponsors. It's called Future Housing Leaders. And essentially, it's all about training this new team up on how we ran the pilot to date, but also what have been the roadblocks or the challenges that they should be wary of, but also what are my recommendations for how they could essentially address those roadblocks in the future. So it's a great model for us because as pilot managers, we don't want to get bogged down with one or you know a handful of projects that ends up being what we do forever. We want to be able to transition some of those pilots over to different teams so that we can take on fresh new ideas. And so it's been really exciting. And end of this year, I will officially have transitioned one project over to another internal team. And it's the first for our team. So lots of lessons to be shared from this experience and all good things, but really excited to kind of see what else comes up in 2019. So could you break down that pilot a little bit more for us? So how did your team or how did this pilot try to fill that gap? So the pilot tried to fill the gap through, actually, I'll talk about how it originated because it started out with our CEO having a conversation with a couple of executives, right? They're in a meeting and they're like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if we identified an opportunity to address the diverse population of millennials, right? Coming pretty soon to purchase homes or to continue to rent, et cetera. How about we think about ways of establishing a workforce that meets the needs of that population. And so essentially, this idea came down to my boss. And so she's like, yeah, this sounds like a pretty neat engagement. How about we figure out how to make this work? And so as part of that, myself, along with a few colleagues of mine, built out a project plan with the help of some key internal stakeholders to really try to understand, okay, how will we promote diversity in the housing industry? Well, it could be through the creation of internship opportunities in college. And so the program itself offers up summer internships to college students across the nation engaging in housing industry jobs. So Fannie Mae is one aspect of of the housing industry, right? We do housing finance, but there's also so many other aspects of housing when you think about the construction field, or you think about just straight up banks, right? So we have partnered with a variety of employers who are offering up a series of summer internships to students. And we, as part of this program, sell the program to students by going and engaging with students at career fairs, college career fairs, and talking about what we do and why housing is such an amazing industry to engage in and why they should be a part. And so once those students partake and and actually sign up to learn more about our program, we connect them with employer partners, they interview, and if they are successful, they end up with summer internships in the housing industry that we hope will be a pipeline of students who ultimately become leaders in this industry over the long term. So really excited to see how this program plays out over the coming years. I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago, Ty, as you were kind of mapping out the various moving pieces in building sustainable communities with affordable housing. So things like making sure that there are grocery stores that sell fresh produce nearby, making sure that there are 
schools, public schools that would be within walking distance, making sure that mm-hmm. there would be healthcare nearby? What are some of the other related pieces to a sustainable community that need to be factored in? That's a great question. It's something that we're working through as a team. There's a lot of different aspects that we're thinking about in terms of, for example, aging in place. Like how do you accommodate the baby boomer population that doesn't necessarily want to go to a nursing home? They want to age in place. And how do you retrofit homes to be able to accommodate folks who want to stay in their homes, but also get the health care that they need, right? Or the healthy homes aspect that they need. There's the technology piece of it, right? Technology is coming fast and furious in the home space. And so how do we create communities that are up to standard around technology. When you think about security, you think about just being able to kind of perform basic functions within your home using some of these like technology, home thermometer systems, things of that nature. So our team is actively pulling together what we truly define as a sustainable community. But that, those are just a few of the examples. So more to come. Yeah, actually, and another one just popped into my head, public transportation, having access, right, to the Mm -hmm. subway, having access to the buses that you may want to take. What about Mm -hmm. parking? What about other, there's so many moving pieces that, that are essential to creating quality of life. I know a little bit about this, not from the public housing standpoint, but when I was a communications consultant, we worked with one of our clients worked on smart cities. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that we are building communities in a way that everything is either within walking distance or reachable through public transport. That's right. So fabulous. Ty, let's talk a little bit about some of the other positions that you've had over the last eight and a half years that you have been at Fannie Mae. And you had a pretty cool title in your previous job. It was the Lean Management Consultant. What does that mean? And why did you have the title of a consultant when presumably you were a full-time Fannie Mae employee? That's a great question. And yeah, that was one of my one of my favorite roles, my second favorite to my current role. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is as a lean management consultant, we we're internally referred to as way of working change agent. And essentially, it was a change management position where I am working with executives and their team members to train them up on the best way to work cohesively as a company and we essentially leverage lean management tools to get the company there. So essentially, I would lead a series of trainings that spoke to fundamentals around the lean management aspects around problem solving, or how people should document best practices, and what's the best way for the team to kind of conduct a stand-up meeting. So it's a quick hit 15-minute conversation where people are sharing what they have on their plates for the day, what kind of roadblocks they're experiencing, things of that nature. And so it was a very engaging role in that I got to meet so many different people across the enterprise while also building their capabilities and coaching 
people that are more senior than I around these tools, being that we were trained up to be the subject matter experts. This role is probably the most, I don't know, I guess you can say the most social role I've had at the company because I had to be on. And when you think, when I say on, I mean, you're constantly talking to people, asking questions, helping them think about the questions that they should ask themselves. And so in that way, he really got to kind of see people grow and kind of flourish as part of being on your team and kind of starting out with, I don't know what to do, please help to, I've got this tie. Thank you so much for your help. And so that was one of my most rewarding roles at Fannie Mae because of the ability to kind of take someone from, I have no clue to, I feel really empowered and educated. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm looking at all of the functions of the things that you were responsible for, and they're pretty incredible. One of them, Ty, is you were a thought leader who leveraged mm-hmm. design thinking to customize mm-hmm. way of working tools for individual teams. Mm-hmm. Could you please give us an example of how you leveraged design thinking? to customize the working tools, the way of working. And I recognize that's probably an internally branded Mm -hmm. something within Fannie Mae, but how you (laughs) helped individual teams customize the way of working tools. Absolutely. So I think the most notable way that I used design thinking was around their stand-up, what we call huddle boards. So engaging with each team, you'll learn pretty quickly that each team operates differently. They have different deliverables and they have different working styles. And so as part of purpose of huddles being to bring everyone on that team together to quickly talk about what's on their plate, are they experiencing any pain and kind of delivering against the obligations they have set for themselves and really just kind of getting a pulse of like the energy of the team. I pretty much had to identify in what way should we structure those conversations so that the team is able to share the most important aspects of their day and their work while also keeping it as meaningful as for people to come to this and it makes them want to attend these discussions to kind of learn what other team members are doing. And so essentially the design portion of the what we call huddle board was all around the structuring of that conversation. Should we start with everyone doing a round robin? Should we have the lead of that team do kind of a point at folks to kind of engage, et cetera? And so through that, each team has a huddle board that looks slightly different but it it all speaks and sings from the same tune and that we want people to talk. We want people to share what they're working on and how they can help each other. I think that's probably one of the biggest wins from the design of these boards is that people realize I have capacity today. Like I have some wiggle room to help you out. And a person who's over capacity can say, hey, yeah, I would love your help for this particular project. And so those conversations, I think, were harder to have without the design of huddle boards and having the team come together for this. So I'm super excited to see how useful it has been over the tenure in my role there for about two years. Fantastic. We should tell our listeners, Ty, that you started at Fannie Mae in April of 2010, and your first position was as a risk analyst. You then moved into a senior project 
analyst role, then became a senior project manager before you moved into the lean management consultant. And now, of course, your sustainable communities pilot manager. Can you talk with us a little bit about how you progressed up the corporate ladder, so to speak? Did you request certain moves? Were others brought to you? What do you recommend in terms of how young people can be proactive in mapping and charting their careers in a particular company? Sure. So yes, as you mentioned, started as a risk analyst and I was hired predominantly for my uh, undergraduate experience in math and economics. So as part of that, I knew that this was my first foray into Fannie Mae, but this wasn't going to be my last. And so what I wanted to do was meet people around the organization who were doing things that were of interest to me. And so as part of doing that, I dedicated at least every week to doing lunches with different people across the enterprise. And I remembered some of my colleagues thinking I was crazy. They're like, Ty, wow, you're like brand new. And you're like going to lunch with who? But for me, it was a great way to understand the business of Fannie Mae and also what other roles people had at the company because I knew there was something more at Fannie Mae. So essentially, as part of the networking, I was able to kind of meet managers who ultimately had job openings. And so it made it very easy. It was an easy transition to apply for those positions once I saw them posted because I'm like, I know this person and I've been sharing my story with them for quite a while. And so that's essentially how I've been kind of promoting myself around the organization and the roles that I've had to date. And it's been it's been an awesome ride. And the advice I would offer up to college students is to really focus on the relationship building within your organization. That will take you far in terms of really building your knowledge of how the company works, but also who are the people that may have those opportunities down the line. Because if there are those opportunities, it would be almost an easier transition for you because you're not asking at that point. You're just kind of saying, hey, you know what? I saw this opportunity and I would love to apply for it. So I'd offer that up. So Ty, this is really extraordinary. Are you saying that From the time that you started at Fannie Mae, you were almost cold calling internally in your organization to other people who were presumably in quite senior positions at the organization to say, may I grab lunch with you? I'd love to learn more about what you do. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, there were some that I definitely did that. Others, I asked for an introduction to certain folks, and I kind of used that as a way to meet people, and it was a success. So that is definitely something I would offer up to folks who really want to build a network within organization without only applying for jobs because they're available at that moment. How many people work at Fannie Mae? That number continues to change. We're at least 5,000 folks and we're spread across multiple geographic locations. So predominantly in D.C., our headquarters is in D.C., but we have locations in Dallas, Chicago, Philadelphia, and then the like. Fantastic. So you were networking internally. And I have to imagine that it was very rare for someone to say, sorry, I can't make it. I can't do lunch. 
Well, interestingly enough, it happened. (laughs) It certainly happened that meetings got pushed to various days, but my thought was to be persistent. I want to meet this person. I want to hear their story and what they do. And I want them to hear my story and what I want to do. And I was willing to just kind of be flexible with my schedule to allow the perfect time for us to to meet. So absolutely. Um, but you went yeah. in with talking points, Ty. <laughs> I did, but it was also pretty natural too. I didn't want it to be too scripted. So I'm teasing you. Know, I'm-, <laughs> I'm teasing you, but you went in saying, I am gonna learn about this person's role, about what they do at Fannie Mae. And in the course of this lunch, I'm going to weave in some of my background. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. So about how many lunches did you have? I'd say hmm, within that first role that I had at Fannie Mae, I met at least, I don't know, at least 20 or so people over the course of those two years. And it was fabulous. I mean, really amazing people at the organization that some of them I still stay in touch with to this day. And it's been a really good ride. It sounds like you have cultivated some mentors. Yes, absolutely. And sponsors. Didn't realize I had a sponsor, you know, that early on, but someone took a liking to me and my initiative and drive to just kind of get out there and meet folks and open up some doors to do some division-wide leadership opportunities that I wouldn't have had access to otherwise if I didn't just kind of extend my hand to meet that person and just learn more about them and what they do. A hundred percent. So Ty, how did you get into the housing industry and what was it about the housing industry that attracted you? You know, as mentioned before, I majored in, in math and economics in undergrad. And so before graduating from college, I had a job offer. Moving back home, though, because that location was back home, as I worked in that opportunity, it was a data analytics role. And it was okay, but it wasn't really pulling at my heartstrings. And so I knew there had to be something more. And so I had a high school friend that I stayed in touch with who at the time lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And so she's like, hey, Ty, I know you're super unhappy with your job now, but you should just come down here to Atlanta and see what it's all about. And so I made it a a mini vacation to go down there and stay with her for a week. And so we kind of explored the city and I really liked it. So decided shortly after I returned home that I was moving to Atlanta, Georgia. I had no plan. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew that I wanted the change of scenery. I wanted to be around a different set of people and wanted to be independent again. I mean, I was living at home with my parents and nothing wrong with my parents, but it was just, I was used to that independence that I got from being away at college. So essentially got a job, moved to Atlanta and got a job doing data analytics, very similar to what I did when I lived back home. At the time, my friend was a caseworker. So she would drive around the city and provide different social services to people. And ultimately, one of her cases needed help with math. Now remember, given I majored in math and economics, she thought of me and said, hey, Ty, I remember you said you majored in math. One of my cases needs help with math. Can I bring you along just in case he has a question that I can't answer? And I'm like, of course, pick me up. Let's go. She picks me up. We're driving to the young man's neighborhood. The neighborhood characteristics change dramatically, almost like a textbook example 
of what an underserved community looked like, felt like, and it smelled like. And for me, there were a lot of things going on in my head. Look at the, the quality of the homes. Look at the quality of the streets. Look at all the things that are kind of surrounding me and enveloping me at this point. So much that I start crying. I'm like emotional. And my friend realizes that I'm like emotional and asks me why. And I say that I can understand why this young man doesn't do well in math. There are so many other things to be concerned about when you think about safety and you think about the home, the quality of the home and your friends nearby and, and the lack of rural models, et cetera. And so at that moment, I realized that communities matter to me. Housing mattered to me. And I needed to do something to positively impact these communities. I knew my math degree wasn't necessarily going to get me there, right? I mean, numbers can only do so much. I needed to connect with people who were doing community development work, who are doing things in the housing industry to truly impact what this community would, would transform into. And so that same weekend, decided I needed to go back to school and I looked at a variety of different programs, right? I looked at PhD in economics programs. I looked at urban planning, urban affairs, public policy, but ultimately decided I wanted to get into the industry through housing policy. And what better place to do policy than D.C.? So as I learned about the Georgetown public policy program and after applying and getting in, I knew that was the school that I was going to attend. And so that experience driving through that neighborhood in Atlanta changed my life and my trajectory and my, of my career. As part of the the grad program, I learned about the role that Fannie and Freddie played in the market. I'll never forget, it was my, my first elective class in the program was housing policy and the economy. And they talked about supply and demand and the housing vouchers and all these things. But then the role that Fannie and Freddie played in the market in terms of increasing that liquidity and helping people afford their, their homes. And I knew that I want to work there one day. I just made it a mission of mine to get to Fannie Mae the best way I knew how and just leverage my, my experiences in undergrad, but also my housing policy background to ultimately sell myself through my resume and applying for positions at Fannie Mae and ultimately landing one through the Risk Analytics organization. Fantastic. Well, your passion for affordable housing extends beyond Fannie Mae and into your own real estate investing business venture, Ty. Could you mm -hmm. tell our listeners more about this venture? Sure. So being a part of the Sustainable Communities team has been an amazing experience, truly one of my favorite roles to date. What I've realized is that given Fannie Mae plays in the secondary market, we're not usually the folks who engage with the people on the ground, the residents, the landlords, the et cetera. So what I wanted to do was have my own stamp on these communities. I want to be the person who's accountable for the quality of life that you have in your home or in your community. And so as part of just kind of brainstorming ways with which I can get involved in a more tactical manner in these underserved places, thought and decided that investing in multifamily housing, in single family housing is a way with which I'd like to do that. And so as part of my newest venture around 
real estate investing, I'm looking to acquire a portfolio of single family and multifamily housing to start in underserved communities as a way to drive value to those families, give people a sense of pride in where they live and where they work and where they play. And so as part of that, we'll plan to acquire these properties over the next 10 years. But this is kind of my way of having a direct impact on these communities. And say Ty was here and Ty had a direct impact in what people experience on a day-to-day basis. I love that. Just to clarify, when you talk about multifamily housing, is another way of saying that like apartments or townhouses, houses that have been divided up, allowing more than one family to live there? Yeah. And multifamily, I'm referring to it in terms of buildings that have five or more units in them and single family being one to four unit buildings. Hopefully that'll, you know, kind of differentiate. So you are in the process of becoming a developer. I would say it's slightly different in that developers are building the housing from the ground up or generally speaking. But as an investor, you can purchase the homes that are already built or you can kind of go in and and purchase or provide financing to developers who would ultimately build these homes. And so the angle I'm taking is purchasing homes that are already built. Now they may need some work or rehabilitation and I'm open to doing that. But ultimately my goal is to kind of work with existing structures and taking them to that next level of good, but also enabling people to move in and really enjoy the space as much as I would. Wonderful. Ty, among the questions I try to ask all time for coffee guests is this one. Could you share a story with our listeners of a time in your professional life when you struggled? I, for example, have had many times over the course of my 35 plus years in the working world in which whether it was having challenging colleagues, a jerk for a boss, uh, being in a job that I didn't particularly like, but most Mm -hmm. important, Ty, it's how you came through the other side. What lessons did you learn about resilience and about grit? One of the roles that I had before coming to Fannie Mae was at a small consulting firm. And the environment there was a little bit different. Certain behaviors were condoned. And I remember getting an assignment where I was on point to conduct a series of data analytics and be able to tell a story based on the data. The mistake I made was I didn't ask enough clarifying questions up front. And so I remember being called into the manager's office and getting feedback that was not in the nicest of ways. (laughs) I first kind of internalized it. I was so embarrassed and just upset with myself for not asking the questions up front that would have allowed me to take the report a different direction. But essentially, I was able to go back to my desk and kind of redo the report in the way with which they originally had wanted to see it. But I think some of the big lessons that I learned from that experience was, one, to be as clear as you can up front about your work before you start. So ask those questions that you need to ask to really ensure that you're understanding what the request is as clearly as you can. 
And I, I still follow that advice to this day. I think the second portion of the lesson that I learned was how not to provide feedback to someone. Because the way the feedback was delivered to me was probably one of the the most unenjoyable experiences that I've received to date. And I know that as part of being on a team and building capabilities and helping people build the confidence around who they are and what they bring to the table, there has to be a certain set of baseline practices and things that you would say versus say in a different way to ensure that people are still remaining encouraged to do the work. And so that to me was a silver lining of how not to act or how not to be as a professional. And so I think the way with which I was a coach and one of my previous roles definitely allowed me to express that in more ways than one. And so for that, I'm thankful. Unfortunately, that experience wasn't the best experience for me, but I think I came out on the other side knowing how to engage people and give feedback in a way that allows them to feel dignified and respected. I have to tell you, I've also worked for jerks in the past, and I think I became a better manager after I was managed by a terrible manager. How did you Mm -hmm. come in the next day, Ty, and how did you keep your game face on after that incredibly unprofessional and really horrible experience that you had? Yeah, it was hard. I mean, the next day, I tried to come in, as you mentioned, very strong with a game face, trying to pretend that it didn't bother me still, <laughs> but it did. And it was just something that I think dissipated over time. It was a sting and it stung for a while, but I just learned I had to get back up. I mean, I bring value to this team. Yeah. There's some scars that stay with us, but we're actually proud of that scar. It kind of reminds us mm-hmm. maybe how lucky we are to be in the place we are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Totally it gives you that agree. perspective. So Ty, final time for coffee question. If you could go back to Lafayette College, you have alluded to your time as an undergrad when you majored in mathematics and economics. If you could go back there and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? That is such a good question. And as I thought about this, I would say, think about how you can meet more people, how you can help more people. Because I spent a good portion of my college career focused on academics. I mean, math was hard for me, (laughs) but it was a challenge in such a good way that I, I welcomed that challenge. And I spent many of my hours in the professor's office asking questions, going over problems, things of that nature. But what one thing I would do differently is connect more so with my friends, with my professors, with the administrative staff that were there. Because what I find is that I I get more energy from helping people than I realized. And so being able to kind of take that break or get up an extra hour earlier so that I can get my homework done earlier so that I can go help someone or have a conversation with someone to see how we could work together. I mean, To me, that's been worth its weight in gold as I've gotten older. So I would offer that up. See how you can help other people and remain connected to other people. That's that's really important. What wonderful advice. Ty, I want to thank you so much 
for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. You have had such an interesting career to date, and we did not get into the extensive amount of volunteer work that you have done over the years, whether with the Young Professional Employee Resource Group at Fannie Mae, the Single Family Division at Fannie Mae, the Jackie Robinson Foundation, Operation Hope, so many things that you have done to spread your pixie dust wherever you go. (laughs) Yeah, those have been probably some of my most proud moments working at Fannie Mae and just trying to really ensure that at the end of the day, we're keeping the attention on the people with which we're trying to serve, which are those residents, which are the children. And by participating in many of these volunteer activities, I've been able to do that. And it's been so rewarding. And I look forward to continuing to engage and bringing other people along for the ride. Well, you're an incredible professional, and I'm just so glad that the world has people like you in it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.